0: You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. Everyone, welcome to the show today. I am so pleased and so excited to have with me Dr. Amr Emmer, who is transport chief technologist at Aramco. We're going to talk a whole range of topics in transport, energy sustainability, the energy transition, electric vehicles, the research that's being done at Aramco's R and D centers, and I'm just so pleased to have Dr. Emmer on the program because he's really a giant in the area of transport energy and transport energy research. Dr. Emmer, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Tammy. It's a great pleasure. Looking forward to the conversation.
0: So let's get into it. For the listeners who may not be familiar, can you talk about your role uh, at Aramco? And can you talk about your role in creating the company's research centers in the U.S., Europe, and China, what they do, and and what drove you to push for that back in the the late, um, early aughts, around the 2007 time period?
1: Yeah. So I guess, uh, first of all, transport fuels represent a significant share of the final energy consumption. Uh, at the point, I was very intrigued by Aramco's proposition. You know, After spending 13 years with the auto industry, really working on engine design and development, I always felt that I'm really looking at one side of the equation. So when Aramco approached me about an opportunity to establish an effort to address the challenges associated with transport uh, fuels and, and really try uh, to build a program to improve their sustainability, That was a very intriguing position for me and uh, really working at the interface between engines and fuels uh, was the major selling point for me. So uh, upon joining Aramco, I was responsible for the development and implementation of a global strategy uh, and roadmap establishment to position the company as a recognized player in the global debate on transport sustainability. What that culminated into was the establishment of three global uh, research centers in recognized technology hubs around the world. That's Paris, uh, Detroit, as well as Shanghai, and also involved growing the team uh, capacity and team numbers to address the kind of work that we were going to be involved in. We managed to grow the team from about eight people back in 2007 to about 95 people right now working with a number of uh, technology uh, providers and automakers and various stakeholders to really uh, demonstrate the lowest path to reducing the life cycle CO2 footprint from uh, you know, transport uh, technologies. In my view, over the past 15 years, I, th- I think that we have made a significant or made significant contributions to the science and technology of fuel and engine interactions. The kind of work that I'm managing right now, it's really a large portfolio of research and development projects. And they include you know, company flagship technologies that have strategic significance to the oil and transport industries. And these include uh, efficient powertrains uh, all the way to uh, low carbon synthetic fuels, a very wide portfolio, very wide number of uh, collaborators, Obviously, we realized long time ago that we cannot do all of this by ourselves, So we, we work, so we work with a lot of uh, people around the world uh, to materialize some of those technology and accelerate their adoption and uh, deployment in the market.
0: So of all the projects, I want to talk to you a little more about s- sustainability from your perspective, but but when it comes to but i want to touch on the 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 research um at the labs you as you just said you have a wide portfolio low carbon uh, fuels synthetic fuels other types of transport energy technologies so in your time since the the labs were created in your view what's been the most consequential uh, research that has been undertaken at the at the center centers and what stands out to you the the most and 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 do, and will we begin to see sort of the um the effect of the that that research into um the the marketplace
1: i think in general uh, our understanding is there is a role for all technologies to play in terms of delivering on the Uh, climate, energy, and health concerns that are upon us. Uh, From Aramco's standpoint, we started to look at opportunities where we can bring the engine and fuel and optimize them as one system in a very, very synergistic fashion. We also tried to look at some opportunities for technologies that have immediate impact, technologies that are in the short term will result in a significant reduction in CO2 emissions. Mm -hmm. Amongst those technologies that we're quite passionate about is a technology that is cost neutral to the automaker, which is Dilute Boost. This is a technology that can deliver Mm -hmm. up to 9% uh, lower CO2 emissions on the vehicle front. And, and, and the most interesting part about this, it's not the fact that it's cost neutral and delivers significant CO2, but at the same time, there is no emission you know, degradation uh, mm-hmm. as a result of this technology. This technology is uh, something that can be implemented in the short term. It uses the uh, existing three-way, three-way catalyst. And uh, we already have a number of uh, vehicle uh, platforms that are slated uh, Uh, for production with uh, an automaker in the next uh, three to five years. Uh, Another technology that we've spent quite a bit of time and we believe that we've made significant strides on is the gasoline compression ignition. Mm -hmm. The gasoline compression ignition technology is is quite unique in the sense that it offers uh, diesel-like efficiencies with substantially lower criteria pollutant emissions. This is an efficient this is an engine or the uh, it's an engine technology that can achieve 35% lower CO2 emissions compared to a modern turbocharged uh, gasoline engine that is quite significant and the fact that it meets significant or you know near zero pollutant emissions exceeding US Tier 3 bin 30 regulations makes it even more intriguing Mm-hmm. The nice thing about this technology, as well, is that it has the potential to enable significant reduction, you know, for the SUV market and uh, you know uh, uh, commercial vehicles, for example. And we are currently looking into opportunities also to uh, work with automakers to see this technology making it in the uh, uh, in, in in the market. The third technology that we have been putting a lot of effort on is turbulent jet ignition. And this is something that, uh, you know, many automakers are currently considering that. In fact, some, t- some companies have already put a passive version of uh, this turbulent jet ignition. Uh, we are not only uh, looking at passive uh, architecture, but also looking at active, active uh, turbulent jet ignition uh, architectures and designs that will deliver even more CO2 emissions. We talk about engine technologies, but at the same time, we are very intent on looking on the criteria pollutant emissions. And we have developed you know, significant number uh, or a number of technologies that result in significant reductions in criteria pollutant emissions. For the light duty, we've managed to, uh, some of the work that we have done, uh, we managed to demonstrate 90% lower NOx uh, emissions but also significant reduction approaching that number on hydrocarbon, nitrogen oxides, as well as particulate matter. Those technologies are very much needed because Mm -hmm. the automakers would have to meet the future emission regulations, which are becoming increasingly more stringent. We've also worked on the heavy-duty side of the equation, and we have also realizing that 70 to uh, 90% of uh, uh, NOx reduction is expected in many markets around the world, including the US and Europe, for example. And we uh, within Aramco have developed a new combustion process uh, which when paired with an optimized uh, engine system, advanced control and new catalyst system can really deliver significant reduction in NOx emission. This is the biggest challenge for the heavy duty sector. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the intriguing outcomes is that on a hot FTP certification cycle, we have achieved more than six times lower NOx emission levels. This is related or relevant or relative to the latest California uh, or CARB regulations, essentially. Beyond that, we have also looked into mobile carbon capture, which is a technology that many people have uh, looked at as a far-fetched idea. But certainly it's a technology that we have spent quite a bit of time on. We've developed a number of generations on this vehicle. So we've developed the system to capture uh, uh, CO2 coming out of the exhaust system. Uh, Combine that with uh, the entire part of of, uh, the the capture system where it's compressed and stored on on board the vehicle. And... uh, following the multiple uh, generations of vehicles that we've demonstrated and the understanding that we've gained over the year on this technology, we've realized that it truly has a very good fit for marine applications. This Ah. is because the issue is is not Mm -hmm. about the CO2 capture. This is a technology that people can do today. It's about the infrastructure in terms of how do you deal with CO2 once you capture it on board the vehicle. And the marine uh, applications really offer an opportunity where you can leverage existing bunkering infrastructure, which can be used to offload that CO2. And that is uh, one of the uh, propositions uh, that that we've started now to develop a lot of effort, uh, working with a lot of uh, players out there, including the Oil and Gas Climate Initiative, which brings a significant number of energy companies together with the intent to have a significant uh, uh you know uh reduction or developing technologies that will result in significant reduction in co2 emissions
0: yeah that's really interesting i have um you know i know about mobile um, carbon capture um and the act- the activities the the research that are ongoing at the labs but i had no idea um and it's certainly not a common common knowledge i think in in many um spots, you know, that this could really be useful. And actually it could be really be transformative for shipping. It's a hard to decarbonize sector. I mean, there's lots of discussion about methanol and ammonia and they really, you know, they have their and, and, and biofuels and they all have their, their pluses and minuses. But I think the, the reality is, is that, you know, uh, you know, it, it's it's going to be tough to to decarbonize. So that really presents a, kind of an interesting option.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, particularly because of the fact that the uh, the CO two avoidance potential there is very high. It could yeah. be beyond fifty percent, and this depends on essentially the, uh, how much fuel you want to use, because you need some of the energy, need to harvest some of the energy. To actually enable your capture system so you can go very high in terms of co2 abd- uh, you know avoidance and ultimately it, it comes to a question of the trade-off essentially and ultimately you have to look at it from a co2 abatement uh cost standpoint but certainly the potential is very high we've demonstrated about 40 percent today on a, um, a class a truck in in mm-hmm. our facility in detroit which where we we were able to do that on board that truck
0: and store that CO2 on board that truck. So I wanna go back to something that you were talking about earlier, um, the emphasis and, and um, burgeoning focus on uh, sustainability. So there's, I mean, let's be honest, um, there is skepticism, um, <laughs> I degree in some cases, that oil companies, will have any role at all to play in decarbonization that includes transport and transport energies so how in your view how do oil companies counter and respond to this skepticism and what role should they play? I mean, what is the Aramco vision for um, decarbonization? And then I'll, i I want to ask you a little bit more in depth on on topics like you know electric vehicles and 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 other technologies. But what do you you say to to all of that?
1: i think I, I think in short, we need all hands on deck. And I think demonizing one industry or excluding one industry is not helpful. I think everybody needs to come to the table. All stakeholders need to work together to really end up with uh, you know, a resilient and lasting uh, impact on CO2 emissions. We all know that we, that we are facing a dual challenge here. We need more transport energy with less emissions. In fact, we need more energy with less emissions in general. The question is, how do you get there? And You know, there's a lot of people who have proposed silver bullet solutions, and and many of those solutions, in my view, they come without full consideration of the unintended consequences, and this is mainly because or result in improper accounting of greenhouse gas emissions. In, In a nutshell, you're moving the burden or shifting the burden from one sector to the other. So in reality, all energy sources will be needed to support a successful transition in the in, in, in the future.
0: I call and it moving the coconuts. <laughs> moving the coconuts <laughs> around, you know.
1: <laughs> and and in, in, in general, I think energy company are a major stoke- stakeholder in the entire energy transition and decarbonization. And they need part they need to be part of the solution. And In fact, you know, there is significant number of uh, energy companies that have committed to lowering their scope one and two emissions, including Aramco, where we aim to achieve net zero scope one and scope two greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. And we're looking into a wide range of opportunities to achieve that, which includes energy efficiency measures. We're looking into deployment of carbon capture, uh, utilization and sequestration hubs. We're also looking into increased share of renewables, as well as offsetting through uh, systems like direct air capture into the future. All of this is, you know, will contribute to addressing the CO2. Once, one thing that we need to keep in mind is that when we talk about CO2 emissions, we have to understand and appreciate the fact that we, we, we are not only concerned by the new emissions that will be generated from today, but we're also concerned concerned with the emissions that already exist in the atmosphere. So solutions that will address only one part of the equation does not give a resilient impact and a lasting impact on greenhouse gas emissions. Our intent, together as a community and the world, we need to address CO2 emissions. How do we do that and who does that? I think everybody needs to come to the table. We need all hands on deck and we need to, you know, Welcome all contributions from all stakeholders, so long as they deliver on reducing CO two emissions and addressing the climate challenge, which is our uh, you know collective uh, interest here.
0: So you already talked a little bit about this, but you you talked about the research at the centers. Um, but what I want to know is, you know, if we look at the big picture and we look at the the, the globe, what are the most promising? technologies and strategies in your view to decarbonize fuels and vehicles in the coming years. You mentioned one, you know, carbon capture and storage, Um, but is it going to be, you talked about lower carbon fuels. Um, will it eventually be synthetic fuels? Fuels like, you know, electrofuels or or power to X? Will it be hydrogen? Um, we I touched on ammonia and methanol for for shipping. Um, how do you see it in in your view?
1: Honestly, I I, I really think that the answer is really all the about. Yeah. The for us to really end up with a significant impact on greenhouse gas emissions, the right technology choice must be adopted in the right sector at the right time to make sure that you have the biggest impact. Picking winners and losers early on in the game doesn't help us. Synthetic fuels will play a role. Electric vehicles will play a role. Gas will play a role. All of these vectors, energy vectors, will play a role in, in, in the future. The only thing that we have to be cognizant about is where do we apply them and how do we apply them? Because if you are, uh, you know, if you uh, if you focus, you know, which is, you know, what many have been focusing on uh, to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions to address only the electricity sector as well as the light duty uh, vehicle sector through electrification. Now let's look at this very carefully. You know, when we look at electricity, it's it's really uh, electricity uh, greenhouse gas emissions. They contribute about 25 percent, give or take, uh, to the total global uh, to the global uh, greenhouse gas emissions. The light duty vehicle sectors contribute about eight. So, if you limit your actions to those two, uh, you basically are addressing only a third of the total greenhouse gas emissions. There needs to be other energy vectors. Biofuels will also contribute to the equation and, and uh, will be part of the solution. The only thing is that there is no one solution, it's a portfolio of solutions that will result into, in, in, in addressing this global challenge. So if we take a step back and we start looking, for example, at synthetic fuel, synthetic mm-hmm. fuel is something that you know Aramco has been putting a lot of effort behind recently. The way we look at synthetic fuel is that we think that it's a broad class of hydrocarbon fuels that are chemically synthesized and usually from hydrogen and CO2. Some people use, you know, power to X or uh, electrofuels, uh, you know, to to, to, uh, uh, define those. Uh, From our standpoint, we're specifically interested in low carbon synthetic fuels, which combine low carbon hydrogen uh, that is produced from renewable uh, electricity uh, with CO2. And of course CO2 in our view could be uh, either captured directly from air or from industrial installations. Now this fuel, you know, whether it's liquid or gas, you know, it can be engineered to be chemically similar to conventional fuels in the market, a true drop-in solutions. What this means is that it can use the existing vehicles and fueling infrastructure and thereby support a more seamless and organized uh, energy transition in the future. Uh, Within Aramco, we have uh, uh, plans to uh, erect two uh, demonstration uh, plants, uh, and and we plan to have those in operation uh, as early as uh, 25, and uh, we believe that a greenhouse gas reduction on the order of 80% on a full life cycle basis relative to conventional fuel is possible. This is quite significant. Oh, yeah. The fact that they are truly drop in and, uh, you know, they're designed on a clean sheet of paper. So you could potentially design fuels that could have an an added value proposition along the lines of improving their criteria emission profile as well. Mm. Uh, One of those plants that we have uh, planned for is going to be in Spain and uh, it targets the production of low-carbon jet and diesel fuel, as well as NAPTA. And and this technology uh, uses reverse water gas shift and fissure probe technologies, and usually these kind of uh, units are followed by hydro uh, cracking and product Mm -hmm. upgrade Mm -hmm. units. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also have another plan here in Saudi Arabia. This is a bit more interesting uh, because... Uh, First of all, it's aiming at producing uh, low carbon gasoline fuel uh, using direct methanol synthesis, followed by methanol to gasoline uh, technology, and of course, with some upgrade units. The the intriguing or the interesting part about this uh, pilot plant is the fact that, sorry, it's it's a demo Mm plant, is that it will leverage the kingdom's uh, high cost competitive renewable solar and energy. You know, this is the kingdom has unmatched combined capacity factor for solar wow. and energy, ultimately potentially uh, demonstrating the lowest cost of these kinds of fuels in the future. Yeah. But also, you've got, uh, you've got all
0: the land and all the ability yeah, in the world <laughs> to, to do this. It's pretty uh, amazing. In addition
1: to that, so it's, it's the ability, it's the land, it's, it's the fact that you have solar energy and, and, and you have wind energy, but also you have abundant and cheap CO2 sources. And you already have a vast uh, supply infrastructure, you know, that you've used for many years already that can be leveraged for that. So ultimately, this, uh, this particular setup could, you know, demonstrate the lowest cost synthetic fuel uh, that, that can be um, uh, used in the future. Now, back to your earlier question about mm-hmm. which vector. Is it gasoline? Is it diesel? Is it methanol? Is it this? The way we look at these uh, demo plants is that these are really test platforms for us. We're trying to understand the entire value chain. And we're trying to understand what is the best way and the most cost effective and the easiest way to move molecules around the world. And our commercial plant will be based, will basically build on the learnings that we'll gain over the coming uh, few years out of uh, uh, these uh, demo plants and will help us decide on the construct of of, uh, this commercialization effort that we will have in Kingdom on this front. Hydrogen is also the same, you know, another Mm -hmm. molecule that, that, uh, you know, has great potential. Of course, hydrogen can be used in in, uh, many different ways. Hydrogen can be used directly in fuel cells. And also hydrogen can be used in an internal combustion engine. You know, there are companies that have been... Uh, looking into opportunities to develop, uh, you know, fuel agnostic engines that can use a wide range of liquid and gaseous fuels, including hydrogen. The nice thing about hydrogen compared to fuel cell is the purity aspect, because it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to have the same purity that is required for a fuel cell application. And with this hydrogen, you know, you can think of it as an opportunity to catalyze the demand for hydrogen until other alternative technologies reach maturity. And with that time, you're gaining time, you already are contributing to reducing the greenhouse gas emissions. So you're not waiting for the technologies to mature, for the infrastructure to be there, and for the cost to come down. You're doing something today that will have a lasting impact and prepare us for a future where the alternative technology will play an increasing role in addressing the global greenhouse gas emissions.
0: And it'll, it'll allow the kingdom to, to shift, um, over time as well as these new sources and new technologies are, are developed and become commercialized
1: pivoting. Yeah. I think, I think, I think the company is, is really has a very wide portfolio, uh, that involves, uh, you know, uh, different uh, markets as well on different technologies we believe in technology neutrality we believe that different parts of the world will have different needs and uh, we are looking into opportunities that will satisfy the energy needs that are coming from you know all the world we're not trying to limit our ourselves to one side of the world
0: yeah So it seems like to take two slices of the world, (laughs) it seems like in North America and Europe, the approach uh, from a from a policy and market standpoint is really focused heavily on electrification. And increasingly, you know, the phase out of the internal combustion engine vehicle, which I never thought I would I would really see in the US, but now we have a, a program in California that is going to be adopted. In many states, that that requires basically the the phase out um, of the internal combustion engine vehicle by twenty thirty five. We know a bunch of countries are are following. So, what are your views on on such a strategy? And where does the you know um, car ban, I said phase out slash electrification strategy leave Aramco, but more importantly the the rest of the world? Because I've worked all over the world. And I don't see many countries outside of the West being uh, able, at least at this time, to really kind of follow that that pathway. So where does that leave them?
1: Yeah, that's a very interesting question. And I think it boils down to looking at emerging and developing markets, and those will have you know, we cannot have the same solutions, mm-hmm. uh, the same solution for those two markets. So, in my view, for many emerging markets, uh, efficient uh, uh, internal combustion engines, uh, you know, dedicated hybrid-type uh, combustion engines with very low or near-zero criteria pollutant emissions that potentially could work on, on synthetic fuels in the future will create a very good value proposition because the focus there is really on affordability and lower criteria pollution emissions. And, and this essentially will help with, uh, sustain, with with creating a more sustainable transport on those parts of the world. Now, if you look into more developed regions, you know where electric vehicles have started to penetrate the market, it may still take decades for the existing vehicles in the fleet to be completely removed. It takes about 10 to 12 years, depending on the market. For uh, you know, for the uh, fleet renewal. So, by leveraging the existing fuel uh, manufacturing and supply infrastructure and existing vehicle fleet, drop-in low-carbon synthetic fuels can enable a faster fleet demonstration in the next few years. This is an immediate solution. So, let's take India for example. You know, and we've done a paper recently that we published in Nature Communications. And, and uh, India's power sector is still heavily dependent on coal. Mm-hmm. Now, without a clear trajectory trajectory to decarbonize the power sector in, in that country, there is a risk that EVs may actually increase the overall CO2 emissions. Some people may not expect that, but this will likely happen given that heavy dependence on uh, coal for power generation. So what you're You know, in that scenario, you're really shifting uh, the um, focus or shifting the burden from one sector to the other. You're not really addressing the CO2 challenge. And our analysis really pointed to that and pointed to the fact that, uh, you know, very efficient hybrid and low criteria pollutant emissions type of engines will have a big role in the mid to short term. Now, of course, we know breakthroughs in battery chemistry and technology will be important to drive the future improvement in, in both, you know, not only performance but all cost, yeah. but also cost. And also, the development and uh, and deployment of fast chargers, you know, are, are, are needed, and that would that could enable uh, frequent, uh, you know, fast uh, charging um, uh, opportunities. And, and this will uh, potentially reduce the battery range requirements essentially. So, in, you know, in, in a nutshell, and, and to, to me, you know, hybrid technologies with varying electrification level uh, and battery sizes will be, you know, key for countries like India. Hybrid vehicles are efficient, low emission, low emitting, and they do not require an additional infrastructure that we have to establish and and since they already have smaller battery sizes they will also be less demanding on the limited on our limited uh, battery uh, capacities worldwide so all in all you know they will uh, deliver as i uh, always try to refer to immediate uh, impact on greenhouse gas emission
0: so we talked a little bit about transport um, sustainability but what does, in your view, what does, and I think we're talking about this a little bit, that it's going to look a little bit different depending on where you are in the world. But but what does, if we if we assume we're in an energy transition, uh, what does a sustainable energy transition look like? And the reason I'm asking that is as, as an analyst um, and advisor, you know, one thing that I really see is these policies that we we're just talking about electrification phase out there's but there's no um overarching and there may be other policies respecting hydrogen a lot of co- uh, countries want to get into the into the hydrogen business <laughs> uh yeah. now there's battery manufacturing that's really taking off here because the, the policy is demanding it we're talking um sustainable aviation fuel other low carbon low carbon fuels, but there's no sort of overarching roadmap in many places about what a sustainable energy transition looks like. And I think we're seeing, you know, yes, we have some issues in, in Ukraine and what's going on there, but I think we're seeing a little bit of this right now with energy prices and what's happening in Europe. You know, so what does a sustainable energy transition look like? You know, in your in your view, sort of knowing all of this, the yeah. reality of our lives right now, as, <laughs> as they are, so to speak.
1: Yeah, uh, another very very uh, uh, interesting question. I think maybe there is a couple fronts for that. First of all, uh, we really need to have consensus around the. Um, essential oil, oil and gas with lower emissions. So the role that um, the energy companies are going to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions is, is quite significant. And this is going to be working side by side with alternatives to meet the rising uh, global demand on energy and at the same time deliver on the net zero ambitions that we have. So that's one front in my view. Uh, the other front is that the fact that the world really need to embrace uh, new uses for hydrocarbons. And, and these are along the lines of blue hydrogen. And I think, you know, to me, uh, we should be colorblind when it comes to hydrogen and other all energy carriers and technologies. Uh, we need to focus on technologies that capture and sequester carbon. Uh, looking into uh, technologies like direct air capture, which is which has significant potential to deliver uh, very meaningful uh, you know c o two abatement costs. And in my view, without these approaches, it will be very difficult uh, to uh, reach uh, the net zero. and I think there is a lot of uh, uh think tanks and a lot of uh, people have been uh, calling for a uh, multi-pronged uh, approach when it comes to addressing uh this energy sustainability in, into um, uh, and addressing the net zero emissions which basically uh, talks about energy uh, talks about neutrality and making sure that we don't pick winners or losers but ultimately allowing all for all technology to be developed at the same pace and ultimately giving them the opportunity to compete on a level playing field. And the market dynamics will ultimately pick what is required. So looking at all energy vectors, whether, whether it's coming from bio sources, comes from electricity, comes from oil and gas, uh, energy, uh, you know, powertrain technologies that are uh, electrified, uh, full uh, electric vehicles, fuel cell vehicles, and even other novel powertrain technologies should be allowed to compete on a cost, CO2 reduction potential. Ultimately, and, and the market will pick those fuels. Uh, you will, in the future, you probably are going to see fuels that are going to be different from one sector to the other. Uh, you know uh, whether it's the marine sector, sustainable aviation fuels that you alluded to that could potentially come not only from uh, you know bio-based but also from uh, electrofuels, uh, methanol, uh, ammonia could actually play a big role in marine sector mm-hmm. and, and other applications. Uh, synthetic fuels, uh, different uh, technologies will you know across the road to, uh, sector also could uh, have a role to play in various markets. So it's not, I don't think you know the answer is very simple given the diversity that we have uh, and, and the different needs that we have from different parts of the world.
0: So fun and last, not that the other questions weren't, um, <laughs> but fun and last question, what excites you most about this space and why? You've worked in the space over 25 years, What's the most exciting? What gets you keeps you going?
1: Yeah, I think what keeps me going is a couple of things. The magnitude and the pace that is currently taking place to address this uh, climate challenge. Uh, I think the fact that the transport as well as the energy industries are having to reinvent themselves to address these challenges is quite intriguing to me. And what keeps me, really uh, keeps me enthused is uh, the fact that I'm able to contribute uh, to this picture and to this evolving and very dynamic picture is, is very intriguing and very exciting to me. And I hope a lot of people and the young generation also see it that way. And we can get more brains uh, to, to contribute to the evolution and uh, uh, to this evolving story over time.
0: Well, Dr. Amr, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a real pleasure to to talk with you.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much. I hope pleasure you come back. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more, and sign up for a free bi-weekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.